Here we are, Jason. We are doing this. How many years have, have you heard me talking about we're going to do this and now we're actually doing it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Too many years. <laughs> Too many years of you and I and Johnny talking about sword and shovel. And so um, we are getting ready to start the podcast and launch the website and all those fun things. And um, I told you that I wanted you to be one of my first guests, if not the first guest. And so here we are, we're doing it. And um, so first of all, Jason, how do you pronounce your last name? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, so commonly pronounced a bunch of different names. The correct yeah. way is plenty. Uh, so like like the word plenty, uh, an amount of something, but with a F at the front end and an odd E at the end, plenty. plenty. Uh, but, you know, we commonly get flenti, flente, flenty. <laughs> uh, yeah, over the years, a lot of people say it a lot of different ways. I've just come to roll with it. <laughs> and when when you meet people at church, what percentage of them call you pastor? And what percent call you Jason, roughly? I'd say 60-40, 60% say faster, and 40% say j just Jason. And just Jason. And yeah. did you ever think you were going to be a pastor when you were growing up? No. No, never. You know, I, I, I didn't have any kind of uh, spiritual direction going from middle school through high school into college. Um, when I was young, you know, I grew up believing in God, but didn't it wasn't developmentally at a place where that was really a personal um, direction that I was I felt like I was called from the Lord to be pursuing anything. It was just this general observation that that God exists mm. and culturally his his son's name is Jesus. And he died for my sins, and that's why we celebrate Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. uh, that that was that was a young age. Going through middle school, high school, college, wasn't seeking out any kind of direction from that God or Jesus if He was real. And so there was never a point in my life where I ever considered being a pastor. And it wasn't until a conversation with you in um, January of 2013 that um i even considered that hmm. you know i was fine if, you know i'm leaving out some details in between but by that point we i had been going to church volunteering in church i was i was fine with uh i'm all in for helping the church but i definitely have no interest in working for the church <laughs> um it was yeah so it's been 10 years now 10 years yeah wow, wow. well it was one of the best decisions i made was uh, well the lord made i should say that and uh but we but we met we met in a different circumstance you were we were neighbors yeah. so i think when I, when I moved into avenue b was 95 how old were you in, at that point you were what 14 13 14 yeah 14 yeah what was what was life like for a 14 year old jason what were you up to with that were you, were you playing football you were doing karate or I'd been doing karate for years uh, already up to that point. Uh, I, let's see, I got my black belt, my first black belt at 13. Uh, so 14-year-old me was 
well into martial arts, had been doing it since I was much younger. And, uh, but that, that 14 year old me was, I think tasting, let's, let's say that was eighth grade. Um, it could have been eighth or ninth grade, but let's say it was eighth grade. I think that that version of me was tasting the, um, enticing sweetness of popularity mm. and partying and being cool and wanting to have girlfriends or hook up with girls. And that, that was like a pivotal time for me where it wasn't just a sixth grader that wasn't paying attention to God, but now here's an eighth grader who isn't paying attention to God and is really paying attention to the things of the world. And um, that, that leading into high school, I, you know, and I don't want to paint a bad picture. I was, I was generally a, a good person. I was generally a decent human being. Mm -hmm. um, I was generally a kind person. I got good grades or, uh, you know, mostly good grades. Uh, I had motivation to pursue college. And you know, so it wasn't like my life was falling apart at 14 years old right, or right. Through, through high school years, but there was no direction from God. But you at were, least that you, I was paying attention to. Right. Now, maybe looking back, you might say, well, I can see what God was perhaps not that we know, always know what God's doing. Tell, talk about the dojo, talk about the, what was being formed in you that I can still see as a part of you in terms of the culture that you were in and, you know, in martial arts and discipline and getting a black belt and competing at a pretty high level. But what was that like for you to come in from a beach culture to a, to a dojo? Hmm. Yeah. You know, growing up in Redondo and before we moved to Redondo, living in Torrance, but living in the South Bay my whole life and, then pairing that with uh, a traditional Okinawan style of, of discipline and art, there's certainly some uniqueness there, some differences. I think that the dojo added a lot to me being able to um, handle a lot of different responsibilities in terms of um, feeling the pressure of a teenager, an adolescent growing up, you know, mm -hmm. and having all these different things pull you in, in certain directions, you know, you're, you feel pulled as an adolescent, you feel pulled away from your family, but yet you still really desire to be with your family. You, you mm -hmm. know that your family's important, but you're being pulled away from them in a regular developmental sense. While at the same time, then your friends in various circles, maybe they're friends from school, friends from sports, friends from outside in your neighborhood and, and you're being pulled in different directions that way. And academically you're being pulled and stretched in different. And I, I think that the, the dojo disciplines helped me navigate that season of life. Well, especially not having any spiritual direction at that time of life. I'm very thankful for what martial arts gave to me um, that life didn't end up any worse than it did. Yeah. So what have you kept from that time? I mean, you know, to, it, it, I, I, when you, as you talk about that, I think about rites of passage that we don't really have in our culture. I think about the 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 boy being taken from the home and incorporated into the world of men, you might say. And not that the dojo was exclusively a, a, a male-dominated culture, but you were taken from the protective sense. You're, you know, I, I know your mom. Your mom's incredibly kind and loving and and is is your dad 
but this sounds like a place where you were allowed to get hurt. You were you weren't protected from uh, pain and discipline. But what would you say you've taken out of that experience? You know, you're it's uh, you know some over twenty years later, and what have you kept out of that time that you wouldn't want to trade for anything? Yeah, that's such a good question. We, I, you know, I'm still. Um, now I'm part owner of the school and we just had a testing uh, last Saturday and, you know, seeing the the kids, they were testing for a green belt, which is a relatively high rank, but we're still in the colors and seeing them overcome challenges as a sensei. And I'm not the only black belt there. There's, there's a few of us, but seeing us be able to see in them a potential and to help them get, to reach over to, to overcome a challenge without giving them the answer and showing them how to do it, but helping lead them to that place. Mm -hmm. it, it's one of the most fulfilling earthly things I can think of. And so the, the value, the thank, the gratitude that I have for years of martial arts is seeing um, my sensei give me the opportunity um, to fail and still let me see that just because I fail doesn't mean that I suck or <laughs> that I'm no good at this or that I'm not worthy to continue. Um, you know, so we, we have a, we had a very tough school growing up and I mean, we're training very hard, full contact. We're using real weapons with each other. Um, our, our tests to get to another belt level they're hours and hours. By the time you're getting a brown belt, they're multiple days long. Black belt is a three day long test. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's intense. And I, I remember being uh, 12 years old, and we went to a tournament, uh, like full contact tournament, full contact. But we we did a style where there was a, a bubble face shield around your head, um, so you're not getting hit in the face as a kid, but you're you're taking blows to the head with uh with a face shield on and i was 12 years old and there was nobody to fight in my division so i had to fight up a division and i was fighting some 15 year olds and I me mean, to have to have a 12 year old fight against 15 year olds is just i mean it, it it's almost irresponsible except for the fact that my teacher said this was okay to happen you know in terms of the tournament they wouldn't want it to happen but my teacher said no he's fighting up um and he knew i was going to lose it, for him, it wasn't about let's make sure you go home with the trophy, Jason. Wow. It was let's let's make sure that you are being refined so that you grow. And uh, sometimes you need to grow through failure. Sometimes you need to go grow through challenges. And yeah, that's one of the biggest memories that sticks out to me was not all those tournaments that I won, not all the accolades that I received over the years, but that that one tournament in Palm Springs at the California state championship, having to fight kids three years older than me and just get my butt kicked. <laughs> wow. That's the one you remember. That's yeah. I mean, the other ones are nice, but that's the sure. one that forged me. You yeah, know? That's the one that forged it's, you. It's like what we, you know, usually say we, we've talked about over the years, like we, we gain more, we learn more through adversity than for through prosperity. It wasn't through right. winning that I learned. It was through that loss that I learned way more than so many other victories. Yeah, no, we, we, I mean, the, the adversity is a better teacher than prosperity it comes to mind as you there said. It is. 
And, you know, the, and you said something I want to maybe just give you a chance to comment further. The opportunity to fail didn't make you a failure is what I wrote. So your mm. sensei let you fail, but you weren't made to feel like a failure. Is that fair? Yes. And that pr- that was a proving ground or a a, a, a growth uh, a time, an opportunity, and really a, a culture that allowed you to, because a, a lot of us are afraid of being a failure, and we associate failing with fail being being a failure. Um, it sounds like you didn't you didn't have to take that label and say to yourself or you weren't made to feel like a failure that failing was part of was part of the process mm-hmm. how, how yeah, can we apply a- that as in in church how can we apply that in in our faith how can we take that uh because certainly being someone who sins doesn't make me a sinner necessarily or doesn't make me unclean and doesn't make me um, not used by God. When we think about the people that hold themselves back from making availing themselves to risk, right, or or failure or failing, and not and not wearing the label of, um, I guess I'm not useful. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much that I feel like people don't share with me as a pastor because mm. they're concerned about the perception that I have of them. Right. And so they want to put their best version of themselves on display Mm. with me. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, it's a great blessing when I see people just strip down and be real. Um, So there's a, there's a guy that comes over, his family comes over to our community group. We, we meet on Wednesday nights and, you know, he just, he doesn't have any problem letting me know when he's had an off day where his, um, his temper has gotten the better of him or he put work ahead of his family. And, you know, that, that practice of like, Hey man, I'm, I'm here to be real with you. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to show up. And when you ask me how everything's going, I'm not just going to say it's going fine and pretend like everything's going great. Uh, but, but to be real that, and and so somewhere along the lines, the church leadership has to model that this is a safe place to be real. This is a safe place to have failure. This is a safe place to, to continue to learn from mistakes and grow. You know, I'm thinking about when, how the way Jesus related to Peter, you know, when it came to walking on the water. Um, but most importantly, I guess, is when he is reinstated, restored in John 21, when, you know, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, you know, you know, I love you. And um, it didn't disqualify him. I mean, you would think that mm-hmm. that might be like, oh my gosh, there's just no way that Jesus is still going to uh, keep the assignment that God gave to him of of being, you know, a, a, an essential piece of this new movement called the church. You might think, oh, uh, Peter's DQ'd. Like he, Jesus mm-hmm. is certainly going to, you know, get one of the brothers to to take his role, but that's not the case. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think about the phrase a lot. There's the only thing more constant than my sin is the grace of God. Mm. Uh, And if I, if, if I'm solely reliant on that for my security, heavenly and time on earth, that the only thing more constant or more consistent than my sin is God's grace. Mm -hmm. You know, 
it, it's it's the concept of grace abounding over sin. Mm-hmm. So at at what point do I ever have a right to um, not let somebody feel welcome to come bring the the reality of their real condition, their their failures, their shortcomings? Um, I, I should always, as a pastor, but but even also just as as a Christian man, as a fellow believer, as a brother, I should always be a safe place for somebody to bring their sin. Yeah, because the grace of God is waiting to forgive that and to ref- to um, to cover over that to to give another chance. Um, you know, we never we're not. We're, we're not sinning so that grace abounds, but we're recognizing the reality of every day has sin in it. Right. And the only thing that is, that is bigger than that. The only thing that is more constant than humans temptation and giving over and acting out sin. The only thing more constant is God's grace. So how do I, how do we, as leaders or as the church, how do we actually model and embrace that? Yeah, so that that's a great question in itself. And I think so. You you've competed at the highest level, at least in, particularly when you were at that age in in mixed martial arts and karate. And and then I know that you're you're driven, and I think anyone who knows you knows you're driven. How do you receive grace? And then the next question is, how do we how can we as a, as men form, you mentioned the transparency, how do we form a culture of grace? Because we need it so desperately. Like you said, the only thing that's more predictable, consistent, prevalent than sin is grace. So question one, how do you, Jason, receive grace? And two, how do we create, shape, facilitate a grace culture, particularly for men? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're saying how do I receive grace, are you like from from God, from the church, from yeah, you know, from what, what... you know when you've when you know like you've had a day where you feel like a failure, like maybe you've um, you know you've had a moment where your flesh, your sin nature has come out. You're frustrated with yourself. You're disappointed with yourself, and you haven't met the expectations that you know you have, and. You just feel like ah, I'm, I'm a loser. Let's just put kind of put it that way. Is it something that you know Laurel, is your wife, is able to give you, or a friend, or is it directly from God, or is it all of the above? But it, how how does it how does it penetrate that part of you that's so well formed? Right, my identity is what I do, or you know anything less than this is a, is 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 a is unacceptable. What is it that gets through that exterior uh, shield and lets you go? Yeah, thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm still loved. I'm. I maybe. I may. Have, maybe I failed, but I'm not a failure. I'm still your son. And how do you? What What seems to get through to you when you feel like you don't? You can't receive it. It's hmm. such a great question. And as I'm, as you're describing that and asking, I'm, I'm starting to think about ways that I've experienced this. It's usually times where I've just been running really hard, not running into the world and sin, but just running in my own strength, doing ministry, um, helping be, you know, attempting to be a good husband and a, and a great dad. And 
um, a good employee and somebody involved in the community and, and going to volunteer over there and over here. And it's, it's the busyness, the grind of the schedule that I have been running in my own strength, operating in my own physical giftings, earthly giftings, and not, not giving much attention to the Lord. Mm. I'm, I'm posing to everybody as mm -hmm. if I'm doing this as a godly man. Uh, right. I'm a pastor that's involved, but there's, there's clearly opportunities for me to see, you know what, I'm not doing this, trusting the Lord. I'm doing this, you know, like we were talking about earlier this morning um, in our study with the men, um, doing this for the praise of men, doing mm -hmm. this for the recognition. And it's, it's, to me, it's that in this season of life, it is, it's where I'm doing things. I'm turning Jason's glory into my priority. I'm, I'm turning the name of Jason into the, the thing that I want people to remember the name that I want them to remember. I, I want to be seen. I want to be respected. And so I involve myself in all this good stuff and come to find out not only have I taken my eyes off of the savior, but now I'm putting myself in his place. I see. And that, like in, in really sober moments like that, is so disgusting. It is mm. so corrupt. Like, it's not just I've been chasing after the things of the world. It's that I've been trying to get the world to look at me as if I'm somebody. And, um, and so usually the Holy Spirit is prompting in these moments when grace finally breaks through like a waterfall. Mm -hmm. And I look and I, and I see it coming through um, people at church or through a mentor like you, um, through, through things like uh, my parents or my children or my wife. And, and it's like the, the concentric circles just start getting closer and closer and closer. Like the church is giving me grace. Friends are giving me grace. Family is giving me grace. And at the centerpiece, as the Holy Spirit keeps peeling back the layers, it's it's all God. Mm. And and it is this this holy reverence of how dare I do anything rebellious against you? Mm. And yet you've you've already paid for that. Mm -hmm. You've already paid for that sin. Mm -hmm. Like grace was already waiting for me. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and and receiving that. That may be one of the hardest things for us as men, at least, is receiving. I think at times it feels like I can't, since I can't do it, I have to get this as like a consolation. But it's it's not a consolation. It's more than that. It's it's God's divine love. We would never want our kids to feel like they have to earn our love or that they've mm -hmm. outsinned us or that they've failed us so many times that we're done with them. So grace is that reassurance that, God's for us. He's always been for us. Amen. So how do we, so I'm thinking what you described, that grace is best comprehended in, in community, whether it's church, family, friends. It's not that it can't happen alone with the Bible and worship or something like that, but it seems like one thing that we've learned in the last three years is that isolation is very unhealthy. And I'm not going into a rabbit hole here about 
uh, vaccinations and face masks. I'm learning. I'm talking more about the 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 ability now to quote unquote go to church from um, you know from a screen as opposed to being in community. But we were talking about growth and grace and how is it best received. And you'd mentioned a moment ago that you you know how important it is to be in the context of where people are letting down the facade. It's not so much Pastor Jason, it's Jason, and it's me, and it's you and I, and we're two men, and we're, we're, we, we want to get real about our lives. And what's what are the ingredients, if we're going to put it together and stir, that creates the space where men can put down the facade, the pharisaical, um, I'm doing all I'm doing for you to see me and think of me as different than I really am. How do we bring men into a culture, community, a space where we can not only receive grace, but give grace? Hmm. So many thoughts in there, just flashes. I, I think about the need for a commitment on both sides mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. that as men, we need to, we need to be men. Mm -hmm. um, in, in other words, there, there are times where I'm going to need you maybe to, to put your arm around my shoulder and help carry me, but I don't need you to hold my hand and, and lead me, you know, if, if we're brothers, right. There, there's times where I, where I might be so, down i need you to throw me over your shoulders and do a fireman carry thinking about like sam and frodo going up the final ascent right um but we don't we don't need to walk down the road holding hands together in other words we don't need to be so um gentle we need to be authoritative mm -hmm. and the way that that authority is going to work is when there's a mutual commitment Right. If 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 I say to you that I'm going to be somewhere and I and I'm not there, then I should expect that you're going to hold me accountable to that. Mm -hmm. And and it and if I if I don't get that from you, then something's broken down. Either you have decided not to hold me accountable because you're not considering your place of authority in my life a valuable enough or you don't consider my role valuable enough mm. um, where it's like, you know what? I, I don't need to follow up with that. And I, I you know, the, the example of being somewhere, certainly we, we, we just came off a conversation about grace. So we need to have grace with one another, but, but whatever it is, it, you know, the, the showing up when you say you're going to be somewhere, that is a small example. We, we could play that example out in different ways, but to have accountability is to, is to mutually commit, to one another in a masculine way. Uh, right. And if, if, if I don't, if I don't follow up with you, it's because I am neglecting or negating the place I have in my space to follow up with you, or I've minimized you mm. and I don't see you as somebody who's actually warranting me to follow up with. Right. In other words, I misunderstand my role or I know my role completely, but I don't value you enough to actually follow up with you about it. Well, and it sounds like and sometimes there's defining the terms, like what kind of relationship do we want? 
you know, we may not have every, every male friendship might not be one of those kinds of friendships. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the proverb, iron sharpens iron. So one mm-hmm. man sharpens another. Is that fair to say that you're describing something of that mutual commitment that it might hurt? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that is, as you start to say that, I'm like, wow, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm making this very, very narrow. I'm describing a, a, one type of a, of a friendship where there could be other types of, you know, community support that we are, that we're looking at. Um, so I guess as I'm talking, I, I've got like this, this guy from my group, um, my buddy Ryan, that is, it's in my head where I'm like, if I call this guy, I know he's got my back. If I tell him I need prayer or I need you to check in with me about this issue, I know he's going to check in with me about that issue. Um, and and so I, I value that where at other times, there might have been other men that it's like we said we were going to be committed to moving into the next season together, supporting mm-hmm. each other about something. And and one or both of us failed because we weren't honoring that commitment to one another. Yeah, I mean, these are, these are covenantal relationships, you might say, that uh, the design, the purpose, the stated agreement is we're going to mutually support, encourage you know, what Paul talks to Timothy about correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We're like, wow, like correct rebuke. <laughs> Those aren't two things I do very often. You know, that's not mm. part of our culture. Going back to your, you know, your training as a kid with getting, you know, using, you know, uh, you weren't using 32 ounce gloves. I mean, you guys were getting hit in the face with with you know, and and no one was there to tell the the instructor, hey, this is my kid, take it easy. I mean, part of what you learned early on was to get punched in the face, and mm-hmm. uh, and you you kept coming back, and I'm sure that's part of what I think makes you who you are. But you know, we we you know this confusion about manhood, a toxic masculinity, traditional masculinity, and we we call when we talk about biblical masculinity and. There's still so much we're trying to figure out, but you know, no matter what it is, we as men need a place to bring "quote unquote" our authentic self and um, and be challenged and exhorted to grow as men of God. Yeah, and we need hopefully what we need. I mean, I'm thinking again about these. What's the recipe? Well, we need to be prepared to lead by example and. Even if, you know, I come to the meeting, you come to the meeting and there's other guys there, but it's like, well, rather than waiting for someone to share, I need to share first. I, I need to, you know, I need to talk about my my sin this week. I need to talk about my disappointment, my failure, the things I don't want to talk about. Like one of my mm-hmm. mentors always asked me, what don't you want to talk about? Which is the most awkward opening conversation question, right? Well, I don't want to talk about it. Well, that's why I asked you. We're gonna go right. We're gonna go right to the rather than how was your we can share your victories. And there's a place for that, but there's more of a place in my my mind for where did I screw up and how do I need the grace of God? Because right now I'm focusing more on the shame in my life than I am uh, the 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 pride. Mm. I mean, both of those are killers, aren't they? Pride and right. shame are killers. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. How do you, you know, you've you're known to be very transparent. Uh, how do you bring that into your leadership in a way that's not seen as manipulative or 
trying to um, direct people toward an emotion that might make them feel something other other than, uh, you know, the, the point of sharing about ourselves is to inspire, not to promote some sort of uh, self-grandizement or um, false, false humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, whether it's in preaching or leading teams of volunteers, mm-hmm. I, I want to model that I know I'm not perfect so that it models that I know that I need grace from you. You know, let's mm-hmm. say we're on a team together. Mm-hmm. I want you to know from me that I'm not pretending I'm not trying to posture as if I'm perfect and have it all together. Right. Because if I do, then you should expect me to always have everything together. Right. And then I'm going to inevitably let you down. Right. And then you're going to be shocked at who's that guy. I I thought he was Mr. Perfect. Right. So I would rather out the gate lead with humility that demonstrates here. Here's, here's my shortcomings. Here's what I'm not gifted at. Here's what I am gifted at, but I can still, grow in these areas. I, I never want to present that I've I've arrived and I don't have any place to learn or grow in anything. But those things that I know I'm weak in, I might as well tell you that I'm weak in those areas because you're going to see it soon enough. That's and good. if I can get ahead of it by letting you know, here's where I'm weak, then you aren't caught off guard and you know that you can help me when those areas of weakness are exposed. And, and that, that's the thing about leadership is we know that our areas of weaknesses are going to be exposed. Yeah. There's no way to hide them. No. And, 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 and then there's another side of it, which is I'll call grooming where we can use our weaknesses to manipulate other people to do what we want them to do for us. And, and so there is a, the body of Christ works and functions when every part does its job in first Corinthians 12 and 14. There, there is the I don't need any help version, which you mentioned a moment ago. Then there's the I need a lot of help, um, which can almost be learned helplessness. Somewhere in between is the appropriate. This is my this is my contribution. This is how God's gifted me. This is what I bring. I'm not so good at this. I could really use some help here, and in a way that honors the Lord and also honors others' gifts and our own weaknesses in a healthy way. That's a well, we could spend a lot of time on that conversation, but I know that's something that as a church planter, you're you're working with your team and saying, hey, I can't keep, you know, uh, photocopying bulletins. And as, and as good as you are at that, and I say that, you know, because we've had the conversation, there are other people that are probably better, more effective time management wise than you. And you have to let go and say, OK, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to do, you know, reading about the apostles giving away some ministry to what we would call the deacons. And the interesting thing is the the ministry grows in, in the delegation. Um, mm-hmm. How have you been learning, not just as a pastor, but as a man, to give away things that you might even enjoy doing, but it's actually better for everybody that you do that? Yeah, there's always opportunities like that in in marriage and parenting, definitely in pastoring. Um, looking at that is it's a difficult thing because for me personally, the way that I'm wired is that I want it done a certain way. 
And if I do it myself, then I ensure that it gets done the way that I want it to get done. Mm-hmm. But the the danger there is that too much of that and um, burns me out as well as too much of that doesn't leave room for anybody else to not only be involved, but to grow and learn. So I think about like the going camping with the kids, Um, you know, the oldest, my oldest is 12. Then I've got a 10 year old and then a seven year old. And when they're very young, well, dad's just going to have to do everything. Anyways, I, I pack up the truck. I unload the truck. I set everything up. Um, I pack it all down. I put it back in the truck. Well, as they're getting older, I'm realizing there's opportunity for them to learn these skills, they're simple skills, but help them, allow them to do it and to make mistakes, to not do it the way that I'm going to do it, to make it, to allow it to take more time than it needs to. Right. And then, but, but if I'm willing to endure that soon enough, now we're at the stage where we get out of the car together everybody's already got a job. They know what their role is. Camp goes up like that and everybody's got a place, but it, it took a, it took a couple summers to sort of train and get that to be the way that it needed to be. Right. Which now is way better because a few years ago, it was us getting to a campsite, the kids all running around having fun and dad putting in a couple hours of setup by myself, sweating, angry that everybody else is having fun while I'm doing the work. Right. When it's right. actually me that's choosing to do all the work. Right. You know, it's like I'm angry that I'm doing the work and then I want all the credit for doing all the work. Right. But I'm not happy in the middle of any of it. No so one and no one else is happy. Terrible. <laughs> no one else is happy. So uh and you know, I should mention my wife Laurel is extremely helpful in all these things. I can't say that she's not or she's just sitting on the side in the chair watching. She's always working too. But in terms of relating with the kids, you know, it's it's that how do we give people the opportunity to learn something, knowing they're not going to do it exactly the way that we're going to do it. Um, and we can we can help train and coach and teach. Here is uh, here's here's my expectations. You know, if there's a right procedure to doing mm-hmm. something right. that, that needs to be more technical, then sure, do it that way. But, you know, as far as like uh, making the bulletins for Church on the Beach. I don't need to tell uh, the volunteers I you have to make the bulletin this way because that's not, it's, it's, it's not an essential thing. <laughs> it's if somebody but, has a better idea of how to do it, why not let them do it that way? Right. And everybody, everybody wins in that sense. And most importantly, um, the community grows to trust the Lord together. Um, building on this for a second, what what would you say have been some defining moments for you in your lifetime? And when we say defining moments, we mean moments that um, shaped your life and you were never the same. We were talking about disruptive earlier today. And, you know, the, the definition we were using was as a result of whatever the incident was or the moment that it's difficult to do things the usual way. You can't go back to things. Things are different from now on. Can you think of a few moments in your life and let's, let's take a few off the table. Like when you became a uh, a Christian or when you got married or when you had kids, those are all incredibly defining moments, but are there some things that you think of where, yeah, my, my life, that was, that was, I turned right at the fork in the road instead of left and life's never been the same since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple of 
them come come to mind right away and i'm sure you know with more time they just it's just a, a flood of yep, thoughts about exactly. how god's done stuff like this but but the, there's two quick ones um my junior year in high school i was supposed to be at a um an after school club called teens against tobacco use i was on a committee for um of teenagers against that you know a school committee well, instead of being at that meeting, I ditched the meeting to go smoke pot in the alley behind Redondo. So it wasn't teens against this, marijuana use. It was just teens against tobacco. It was just, you know, yeah. So there's there's the uh, the wisdom of a of a 16 year old. Um, yeah, just dumb. Uh, you, you know, this is a quick side thing, but, you know, when we talk about all those um those red lights it's like or yellow lights and red lights and it's like there's there's flags there's cautions there was a lot of there was a lot of them that i just blew right past on this day yeah and ended up um we i was with a friend uh we got in trouble i got arrested was taken to the police station called my dad and um my dad comes down to pick me up and i thought for sure i was I was going to get yelled at. I, you know, I, I knew that I had embarrassed him. I had brought shame on my family. Um, I knew I'd be in trouble. I, I, I thought for sure there was going to be all kinds of consequences coming down. And he just showed up for me and let me know. There, w- I, I, there, w- there wouldn't be anything in my life that would ever keep him from showing up for me. Mm. And it, you know, you're I'm 16 years old. I feel like I feel like I'm a man, but I'm actually far from, you know, physically I'm developing into manhood, but mentally, emotionally, uh, still just a 16-year-old. And so at that that place of like, you know, dad, I I've been blessed with a good dad. Mm. And a dad that that showed up to everything, whether it was something fun like a football game or something that he'd rather avoid, like picking your son up from jail. Mm. Wow. And it was time, you know, there was there was a lot of things like that where that was that was the decisive or what, what was the the phrase? It, defining the moment. Point, what kind of the defining moment? That that was one where I thought, this is it. Like I've I've been a knucklehead in the past, but this one's going to break, you know, this is, this is the prop. This, this one's going to push my dad over the edge. But your dad but still showed up for grace. you. Yeah. You guys still showed up and powerful. And he showed up with grace. He showed up with grace. Yeah. The mm-hmm. other one was, was uh, Laurel and I were engaged. We were living together and I had heard from a couple of friends that that we should they you know they had courageously and gently let laurel and i know we should be moving out from each other we shouldn't be living together before marriage and say it that way um you know laurel and i had been dating for years through high school through college now it's after college we're living together uh but we started going to church recently so we we started living together before some of those big decisions and um I remember having to move out from her and I, I talked to her letting her know that was going to happen. And she wasn't on board with it mm-hmm. because she didn't know that I was planning to propose to her. And, um, so after that conversation, I proposed, you know, a few weeks later, I proposed to her 
and then told her again, I'm going to be moving out. And it was, it was this clear opportunity where I I was trusting God with a list of things in my life. I, as, as a new believer was just learning how to turn over things, turn this over, hand it over to the Lord, hand it over to the Lord. But then there's here the most important thing to me, my relationship with, with Laurel, who I know I want to marry. It's like, well, no, 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 God, you, you can take all that stuff. I got this thing and and don't worry, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it well. Mm -hmm. And it, I wouldn't have described it that way, but that was certainly how I was living. That's how I was behaving. And so learning how to give over the best, you know, thinking about marriage being a lifelong thing. I'm not just looking at what a new job is or which, which degree I want to pursue in college. Like this is a lifelong thing. Am I going to, am I going to trust the Lord with that? Mm -hmm. Or am I just giving him all the other things because those are a little bit easier for me to give to him. So that was a defining moment for me to actually step up in courage and obedience and, um, and move out before we got married. I love that. I love that. Um, So one of the themes I think of your life, at least for me, Jason is, is courage. And that's one of the themes that we want to develop further in sword and shovel and, the belief that there's uh, for every man, there's a Jordan to cross and a giant to slay. And, and I don't mean a one-time moment. I think that there are constant Jordan rivers that Jordan's meaning the going into the unknown. Uh, The Jordan river itself is not too menacing as you and I both know. It's this, that we don't know what it's like on the other side. And then there's these giants that are, that we can clearly see that are intimidating and, but we can't we can't get to where we're going until we face the giant. And you know the, the Goliaths of the world and the Jordan rivers of the world were the, what kept Israel from the Promised Land. So, what's one fear that you've been able to overcome, and what's one fear that you're still fighting? Mm-hmm. Well. We'll be planting church on the beach, you know, uh, moving forward with this church plant, Lord willing, that'll be happening next Easter, you know, spring 2024. So there was great fear in that for yeah. a long time. That to me was a, a major Jordan situation where sure. I don't even want to dip my toe. I don't even want to get too close to the water. <laughs> um but I'm at least willing to look at it from a distance. And uh, the Lord has been gracious to slowly lead me closer and closer and closer. And now I feel like we're in the middle of the river and, um, you know, or, or what would be the river as he stops the water. Like we're, we're, we're in the middle of, we're, we're getting closer to getting to the other side, but we're not there yet. And after we get to the other side, there'll be a whole new thing that we've got to discover how to live in this new land. Right. But we're right in the middle of it. That has been a big thing to to trust. You know, Kings Harbor Church has been where my place of employment for 10 years. And I've loved working here. And it's our home church. And it's familiar. It's comfortable. It's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, of a paycheck or staff benefits, um, there's security there, which also brings security to my family. Right. So the whole idea of planting a church isn't just, oh, we're going to go plant a church, but it 
it's logistically a lot of those things as a as a husband, as a father, as a as my own as an employee, like the benefits, it's like, well, we're leaving a lot of security and comfort and familiarity mm -hmm. to go do this brand new thing. Right. So yeah, that was that was a huge fear in the that I feel like the Lord is currently walking me through. Um a fear that I what was the second way you phrased it? That the one that well, one, I didn't one, like. one that you one that you <laughs> one that you've overcome and one that you're overcoming. One one more or less that you faced it down, and one is the one that's still in front of you. Mm. And you know what you described is kind of both, right? I mean, you know, planting a church is both you've engaged the process, you're moving forward, you've gone public, it's no longer something that you've kind of kept in your mind. And now your meetings and you're leaving. So I mean, you know, I can see that being, hey, that's that that's both something you're doing and something you're still doing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um so that's a good one. For me, it, it sounds silly being on a sword and shovel podcast and talking about my appearance, but I think physical appearance is like one of those um it's a fear. It's a struggle that I haven't been able to overcome. And I, I, I try to pray through it. There, mm. there's different times where it's better. Um, from, from simple things like I, I wish I was taller and, mm. and I'm five ten. It's that there's certainly other people that would be like, I wish I was five ten. you know, <laughs> but for, for some reason, I'm not satisfied with how tall I am. Uh -huh. Um, I, I've, I'm a very hairy dude except on my head. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you know, before I was 40 years old, I was going bald. And, you know, it's like, I, these are superficial things. They're, they're small things, but, but real talk between you and I, when you want to ask and, and when I, when, if I'm ever somebody that wants to encourage men to be real, it's like, no, these are actually things that bug the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're always bothering me. I'm always having to, like push through uh, my hands. I have sweaty, clammy hands. But as a man, you're always shaking hands with somebody. So literally every time I have to go shake somebody's hand, it's like trying to wipe it off on my shorts before I go do this because I'm embarrassed. Wow. And I could give you, I could give you thing after thing, whether it's my hair or my sweaty palms or my height or whatever. I, they are, they are things that make me feel insecure mm. and Yet I don't, I know that none of these things are what define me, Right. but in this flesh, in this, in this creatureliness, I can't escape. And so while it sounds superficial, it's like, it's not because it's always before me. Mm -hmm. Like as I walk around, this is the body that I have is what I'm saying I'm uncomfortable with. Right. And that body is with me everywhere I go. <laughs> and I can't. I can't go somewhere publicly and lead without recognizing I'm in a body that I'm uncomfortable in. Right. I can't look in the mirror without recognizing I'm uncomfortable with that. And so how, how do we, um, how do I get over myself right. in a way that is saying the Lord didn't make a mistake here. Right. And if any of this is what keeps me humble, in order to lead well, in order to love humbly, in order to serve sacrificially, if if that if this is my version of a thorn in my side, mm -hmm. is that I'm uncomfortable with who I am on the outside, 
mm-hmm. because I'm 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 comfortable with who I am on on the inside, mm-hmm. then so be it. Right. But yeah, it's always before me. Yeah. So like you said, you know, Paul mentions that, you know, he asked the Lord to take away this thorn in his flesh and God reminded him that it was serving a purpose. So, mm-hmm. you know, because I know that if if there was a 30 year old who said to you, Pastor Jason, I, I'd like to be a pastor, but I'm I'm not tall enough. What would you say? <laughs> I would laugh, you know, it's just yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> right. You'd be like, that's not what God count. Yeah. But I mean, it's 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 funny how it's sad and funny how we prescribe medication that we won't take ourselves. Right. I mean, in the sense yeah. that we it's hard, you know, when we we we're much better at prescribing and we're more objective that way. Um you've you've written the Bible, um not translated it, you've written a copy of for yourself, word for word. Um it took you what seven years to do that? Seven years, yeah. What of of those many many things that you took out of that? What's what's one or two uh, today, this day in July twenty twenty three? Because it could change tomorrow or August. But what would, like today, thinking about that discipline and that accomplishment. Uh, what's a takeaway or two from that 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 uh, you'll never forget or never you don't want to lose the benefit of that? Mm. You know, in in some ways it seems silly, but it's like a healthy reminder, a, a healthy perspective of even the role of a scribe. That mm. in order for in order for me to have this mm-hmm. over the centuries and millennia scribes were necessary and in order for the gospel to get shared we often think about using our mouth to share the gospel but the the importance of um historically documenting or preserving or having something that can be passed down from generation to generation and and orally traditions yeah that's great but having something that can be gone back and, and say well did our oral tradition change because if we have it written down and, and by a scribe has has been preserved, then we can go see where maybe we've changed it. I'm a little, you know, maybe that's not the most impactful thing, but it certainly gave me a great appreciation for um, the role of scribes that would transcribe and preserve this that essentially we're living by. We're saying we're dedicating our lives to living by this word of God mm-hmm. that got transcribed and preserved. Mm-hmm. And I take it for granted so much that I can look up this book or that book or this book and, you know, on my phone, on my computer. At, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, we've, we've talked before many times Wednesday mornings about, you know, the Deuteronomy re- requiring that the kings of Israel write their own copy of the law and not just have one written for them. But, you know, the idea meaning that you you put the effort and concentration into that. So here, here's my last question for um, for our time together, and, and Lord willing, we'll have more in the future. What's um, a significant verse for you today? You know, you think about you've written every single verse down. I mean, no one I know can say that, <laughs> but you've written every single scripture down. And as you're writing, you're thinking about what you're writing, and there might be moments when you drift off and think about you know something else. But you're thinking about this passage. What's um, What's one verse right now that comes to mind and we go, that verse is is the verse that God's using right now to get my attention? Mm. 
Could be to encourage you, could well, be to convict you, could be anything. Yeah. It's usually out of whatever passage I'm teaching on this coming Sunday. Okay. Right <laughs> on. Yeah. Yeah. This, but, but, but this Sunday I have off. So, uh, ah. <laughs> you know, there's, we're going through, uh, John's gospel, the gospel according to John. So we're going through the book of John and I cannot get past uh, chapter one, 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that continues. It's, it's fresh on my mind because we're going through John and we're, you know, a few chapters in we're, we're, we're away from chapter one, 14, but everything is Jesus came. The word of God became flesh to dwell among us. There was no other way for me to be saved. Amen. God had to be. God had to become a man. Yeah, and and it's not just a good guy. It's the eternal Word of God mm. that came full of grace and truth. Like, mm. And kind of circling this back to what we were talking about, we need we need grace, and we need to give one another grace. We need to be safe places of grace. Um, we also need to hold one another accountable as, as men or brothers. If, if we're in that type of a committed relationship, that this is truly a brotherhood, a, a friendship that is the phileo uh, Philadelphia type of brotherly love, that mm-hmm. this is, this is truth. We, we, we have to hold each other accountable to truth. So here's the things that I am desiring so deeply in my life is a reliance on grace and the clarity of what truth truthful and then you find this verse that is the incarnation the word of god took on flesh to dwell among us sinful creatures mm-hmm. and he brought grace and truth wow and then he hands off the keys of the kingdom the proverbial keys to you know 11 guys peter the ringleader we mentioned earlier that has failed so miserably and still doesn't take away the key and say give it to somebody else and so here we are you know two thousand years later and uh maybe one of the greatest privileges and challenges is to be men of grace and truth Mm -hmm. living out uh the life that jesus has given to each of us uniquely but the spirit of him living through the holy spirit being men of grace and truth. Yeah. Well, let's leave it at that. Jason Flenty, not Flente, Flenty, <laughs> Pastor Jason. Uh, so good to be with you this this morning. And um, I'm so thankful for our friendship. And I look forward to uh, many, many years of partnership in the gospel and working together in, in numerous uh, capacities, but um, particularly with uh, a mutual love for Jesus and the desire to see men grow in godliness. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Right, my brother. Love you too.